Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. They say happy mummy, happy baby. And I can tell you that when my baby slept, I was one happy mummy. And sleeping was something they always did well. In fact, so keen was I on getting them to sleep that I brought them a natural mat mattress to make them as comfortable as possible. So I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Natural Mat Baby, who've been hand-making 100% natural and organic baby and children's mattresses from their Devon workshop for over 20 years and were the first company in the UK to create a completely natural nursery mattress. These mattresses combine carefully selected natural materials, including organic coir, natural latex and organic lamb's wool for supreme comfort and breathability. Did you know babies can't regulate their body temperatures so it's super important that they sleep on a mattress that helps them do this. Natural mats materials are naturally breathable and self-ventilating helping your baby get the good night's sleep that all of you need. Hypoallergenic, completely chemical free, these mattresses are the ideal choice for your baby and you. Confession, I saw how well my baby slept and so I bought myself a topper from their adult range and it's dreamy. Learn more about the importance of a natural night's sleep at naturalmat.co.uk or head to their Notting Hill showroom to have a browse. Listeners can receive 20% off their first purchase of all mattresses and bedding in Natural Mat's nursery category by using the code PARENTHOOD20, all capital letters, at checkout online or in store. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. None of us dream of our wedding day and also think of divorce. Instead, we believe in the happy ever after, growing old together and a life of happiness. And while this may be what we aspire to, it's not the reality. Around 40% of marriages end in divorce. But divorce doesn't mean failure. It doesn't mean conflict. It doesn't mean the end of happiness. All it means is changed. My guest today is Samantha Woodham, a family barrister and co-founder of The Divorce Surgery. She believes that instead of an end, divorce needs to be seen for what it really is, the transition from a marriage into co-parenting, a situation that can hopefully be happier than the marriage it replaces for all those involved. Sam, thank you so much for being here today. I wanted to just think about why is divorce so to- toxic? Why is it such an unhappy thing? You know, obviously it's, it's, it is it's a bit sad, but why do you think it's shrouded in so much toxicity? I, mean, I think, first of all, thank you for having me. But um, I think that's such an important point that it is so toxic. I mean, you say the word divorce and every association you get is negative. Um, And that goes back, I mean, centuries. We could blame Henry VIII if we wanted to. But the reality is we have 
built up a society expectation that if you're going to leave a marriage, you need to blame somebody, there needs to be fault attributed to somebody else, um, so that it's acceptable for the marriage to have ended. We overlay that with an adversarial court process, which pits the two people against each other and, and has them looking for what's in their individual best interests, rather in their family's interests as a whole. And then we have the, the media portrayal of divorce, you know, the movies, the War of the Roses, the Kramer versus Kramer, which again imply that it's going to be a battle, that there's a winner and a loser, and that, you know, it's always a negative. Whereas actually, if you flip it on its head and think about what it is, which is what you talked about in your intro, this is a life change. This is two people realising that actually a marriage that was bringing them happiness isn't bringing them happiness anymore. And they have a right to go off and find that happiness elsewhere and to end that relationship in the kind of dignified way and with the love that was there when they started it. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, do you think we should change its name? Yeah, I mean, that would be a good start, wouldn't it? And that's, I suppose, what people have been trying to do. I think there's a reason that when, you know, I mean, what, 10 years ago, whatever it was now, Gwyneth Paltrow said she was consciously uncoupling, was because the word divorce is just so toxic. And she was derided for that at the time, largely in the press. But actually, increasingly now what I'm seeing is couples saying, look, we, we want to get through this process, but we want to be decent to each other. We want to be fair. We don't want to battle. We don't want to spend a huge amount of money on it. Um, we just want to extricate ourselves with, with dignity and respect. Yeah, because also, I mean, that's presumably best for the whole family. I mean, you as a, as a family lawyer have seen firsthand how tough it is on the whole family and mostly the children. Yeah. So there's been a huge amount of research in the last sort of three years around the the damage that this kind of conflict causes families. There was um, some research by the Nuffield Foundation in 2019, which really looked at, you know, how many separating couples with children are ending up in court. And as a profession, we thought anecdotally, you know, it was one in 10. I don't know where that figure came from. I think it's what we just assumed. Actually, this research showed that of all separating couples, 38% were ending up in court over the arrangements for their children, right? It's become completely normal and expected to end up in court over your child's arrangements. And they then looked at what the court process itself does to people. So the stress of it, um, you know, the the, the lawyer involvement in your day-to-day life, the mistrust that builds between couples. And they found that the court process itself can cause emotional harm to the adults involved. You then think about what that does to their ability to parent um, and, and children being caught up in this process. And it's led to, you know, the most senior family judge, the president of the family division, saying, look, court needs to be the last resort. You know, don't come here. We need to get the public to understand that actually this is the last place you want to be. If you can possibly help it, you should be working together and figuring out these issues together rather than ending up in an adversarial process. And we need to reserve the courts for those cases with real safety issues or really complex issues of you know, international jurisdiction where there is no option but to go to court. But for everybody else, we need to make it the norm that you can figure this out without going to court. I, we've got this sort of really weird situation where, as you said, you know, 42% of marriages end in divorce. Divorce is normal. But the process by which we manage divorce is anything but normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it almost should be it almost should be considered a failure to get to court rather than a failure to get divorced. Mm. I mean, and I think that's what's interesting 
another take on it, which which I find really interesting, is we we live in a, a culture now which is very aspirational, very focused on well-being, very focused, importantly, on mental health. And yet that just doesn't seem to have trickled through to divorce. And we allow two adults um, who were in an intimate relationship and who have decided that that relationship needs to come to an end to default to a, a process where they put themselves in separate silos of legal advice and, and fight it out, um, which is the worst means of resolving you know, any form of conflict and isn't one that we'd let our, our children model. <laughs> um, and yet we allow people to do that and, and cause themselves this sort of self-harm by putting themselves in a process which is, is, is so full of conflict mm-hmm. without the added stress of the expense of the process, which again, it, you know, is hugely damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get cases, you know, I see cases in private practice time and again where, you know, people are trapped in this litigation for months, sometimes years, um, spending far more than they can afford. And the legal fees then have an impact on the kind of housing they can have on the other side. You know, it, it's completely illogical. Um, and yet that's the sort of default process that people expect. Well, wasn't there some research about around sort of comparing getting divorced to bereavement mm. and that it was considered harder? Well, people found it harder to adjust to divorce than bereavement. Yeah, so there was. There was a study on it and it, it found that it takes, you know, on average a year um, to get some equilibrium following a bereavement, but it takes two following a divorce. And when you think about it, when you approach a divorce, your support network becomes fractured. Um, You don't want to talk about it at work. Um, You may have friends that will take one side or the other. Or feel Um, that they have to. Or feel that they have to. And that's one of the major issues with um, divorce is the way that your friends and family kind of look at it. Um, but, you know, as a result, you, you don't find a way through. And then that impacts your productivity at work. So there was another research study done in Nashville on the impact on your productivity. And it said, you know, in the year of divorce, your productivity will be affected by 40%. But you will have a continuing impact on your productivity for the next five years. And your co-workers will also have their productivity affected because of them essentially living your divorce with you. And it again goes to show, my goodness, this is crazy. Um, Divorce happens. We just need to find a way to navigate it. And, you know, in the way that you navigate any other life change. Yes, it's it's daunting. And yes, there's going to be emotional fallout from that. But we can't let this become such a monumental event, which people, some people never recover from. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm so naive when it comes to divorce. I think my entire knowledge of it is based on kind of dramas. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the, the good wife and the split on the BBC, which I love. But, you know, as a result, I'm sure that I have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to divorce. What would you say are the most cor- common and irritating misconceptions that you come across? So I think the one fundamental one that... that causes people to go in completely the wrong direction is this idea that it's tactical that it's this kind of game of chess and that you need to make the right move at the right time or you're scuppered you know and and you must remember that obviously people start a divorce process quite often in a place of fear you know they're worried they don't know how it's going to work out maybe the divorce wasn't their choice and they're feeling cornered 
Um, and it's very difficult if you're in that frame of mind, which is why emotional support is so important. But if you're in that frame of mind to, to make the rational decisions. But if you start off thinking, oh, you know, this is a game of, of chess. I need to tactic my way through it. I need to change the locks or I need to reduce the time my children are spending with their, their other you know, parent. Then you are going to create um, the perfect breeding ground for a legal battle. But actually, if you look at this as, okay, we're in a place, I don't know what the immediate short-term right thing to do is, but I need to look at where we're getting to. And where we need to get to is a place where we can each lead separate lives, meet our income needs, have somewhere to live that's suitable if we have children for the, for the children, um, that our children can move between us. If you look at it in the long term and actually look at it the way a judge would, then you're going to make the right choices because the judge actually has no interest in what's best for you or what's best for your former partner. What they need to look at is what's fair overall. And if we started every case in that way of saying, yeah, 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 of course, you've got your kind of goals and, um, and your former partner's got their goals and we've also got what's right for the children and let's try and align these things from the get-go and see what a judge would say then you'll see that it's really not about tactics and chess. <laughs> it's actually about communicating and figuring out how to make a finite pot of money go around and how to, to ensure that your children are still moving between your homes and having a decent relationship with each of you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, of course, that makes total sense. But of course, it's also not what makes good drama. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. This rational conversation is quite boring, actually. (laughs) It's the kind of fighting and the conflict that makes that makes great drama. But obviously, then that, you know, impacts the mindset of a of a demographic. Yeah. You know, and and I'm sure, you know, drama is very important, but it does mean that we all have this idea that it is going to be conflict. And what about you mentioned sort of costs? vaguely what what sort of cost is it to get divorced i mean i know it's a bit of how long is a piece of string but is it always very expensive so it depends which route you go so um there was a study by aviva i think a few years ago which found the average cost of divorce as fourteen thousand pounds and the average length of time to get divorced was 14 months and um i mean i think it's really important when we look at cost to think of financial cost, but also emotional cost. And being in conflict for a really long period of time, so for 14 months, is you can wreak havoc on a relationship on the other side. Um, what I obviously see in, in private practice when I'm representing one side or the other is costs when couples go to court. And then the costs will be far, far higher than that. And, and the difficulty is the lack of control over your cost. You can't budget for something where you're relying on the way the other side negotiate. And when on both sides, you're paying on hourly rates. Um, So, you know, you you can't tell at the beginning how much it's going to cost. And lawyers will try and predict how much it might be, depending on how the other side negotiate, but they can't control it. And so you become trapped in a process. And I see it quite often where, um, you know, your particular client is desperate to find a way out, but you can't get a way out for them. Now, what's important for people to know is that there are lots of other options now um, in terms of how they can manage their divorce. And one of the things I say is don't think that the first person you should talk to is a lawyer because it really isn't. Um, For most people, unless obviously their safety is at risk um, or they're an international family and there may be 
complications around which country they want to get divorced in. But if they're, you know, the vast majority of people do not need to rush to a lawyer, they will need emotional support at the beginning. And generally emotional support from somebody who's completely impartial and, and, and you know, isn't friends or family. Um, but you can get divorce coaches, you can get relationship counsellors, you can get separation counsellors who are amazing, who give you the opportunity to sit down together and have those hard conversations and think about what do we want the legacy of this marriage to be? This, you know, we did loads of amazing things, actually. We've had real successes and we've now got an opportunity to go off and redefine ourselves. But, but what is our legacy? How are we going to tell the world about this? And, you, you know, the best way of taking drama out of divorce is if you can create a just very simple narrative that you're going to tell to friends and family and the other parents on the school gate, which is, you know what, we had a great marriage it's run its course now. We've both decided to go separate ways. That's obviously hard for both of us, and it's an emotional time, but we're going to figure this out together. Mm. There's no drama. Yeah. There's no picking sides. Yeah. And you of know? course, if you're telling your children that, but then at school gates, you're like, oh, we're getting divorced. Your, your kids are going to yeah. hear that side. They're going to yeah. feel that tension, yeah. and they're not going to believe the whole this is going to be all very easy and very happy narrative yeah. that you're telling them. And they're going to pick up on those frissons, you know, when the other parent comes to the school gate and is, you know, has the icy reception, you know, and it, it's just super unhelpful um, for the child. Um, and it's also super unhelpful for your co-parenting relationship because you're building up mistrust and this belief that one person might be being marginalised, um, which can happen so easily, you know. Um, and the other, you know, the other thing in terms of managing costs, so, so get the emotional support you need so you're in the right headspace to think about these big long-term financial decisions and co-parenting decisions. Get some support on the finances, you know. Go and see a financial advisor together if you can. You know, I'm a big fan of couples getting impartial advice together rather than doing it apart. Sit down with a financial advisor, go through your finances. One of you will understand the finances better than the other. And that person needs to understand that, you know, you need to empower the both of you to get the full picture. Um, And then once you understand your finances, think about getting some joint advice and budget for it. Yeah, in the way that you would when you buy a house, you think, okay, how much can we afford to spend on lawyers for this process of us getting divorced? And that's part of the reason that I set up the divorce surgery is that we only offer advice to couples together. So they can budget and we do fixed fees. So you can say, okay, I think it's appropriate for us both to get, you know, this level of expertise for this cost. And then we both know where we stand. We both know what the law says. And then in terms of negotiating, you guys, you know, they can sit around the kitchen table and talk about it. They can go into mediation and talk about it. They can each get separate solicitors to help them negotiate. But they're then driving the divorce. It's their divorce. They're in control. They're thinking about what expertise they need to bring in. Rather than just the morning you find the text message on the mobile phone, you know, that that says there's somebody else in this marriage, you, you phone up a lawyer on speed dial, file a petition, um, and you're then a passenger in a process that can get completely out of hand and you can't control and also that creates a narrative about your marriage that might not be the one you want you know it, it's sort of very easy at the beginning to think um you know I want sympathy and I want people to be on my side but then you're casting yourself as a victim long term and actually you know from what I see the decision to divorce is extremely nuanced and it's the result of a lot of factors that have built up over time. And there may be one trigger event, but if you just use that trigger event as the narrative, then you're kind of doing a disservice to both of you. Um, And that chimes in really with that point we're making about friends and family is that 
really what you want to do is, is, is extricate yourself from this marriage in a kind of dignified way so you're up for the next adventure that's coming, you know, mm. and, and the opportunities that are coming, that, that your mate who's happily married for 30 years isn't going to get those butterflies in their stomach, you know, meeting somebody for the first time. And, you know, ultimately, all our lives are different. We're all individuals. We're all going to go in different ways. And so we just don't want the ending of one relationship to contaminate everything else that comes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're so lucky in a way that we can get divorced. Can we imagine we're living 400 years ago and you just had to lump it even if you were in an abusive relationship? And I mean, women were chattels pretty much. We're so, I mean, divorce should be a sort of really empowering thing that you can extricate for yourself from a relationship that's no longer working and, you know, continue to be happy together, but just in a different way. And that's this weird tension that we're in, that we're in this place where we all accept that, of course, you shouldn't be trapped in an unhappy marriage. But as against that, we anticipate, but of course, divorce is going to be awful. <laughs> you know, and that, that doesn't marry up. We need to, to catch up, really, with where we are in our view of, of marriage and divorce and get the divorce process um, fit, for, fit for modern life. And in terms of your friends, I mean, again, there's this idea that if your friend is getting divorced, they want basically a bitch fest about their partner. And that's what's going to make them feel better. But that's not particularly helpful, is it? No. So the thing is that, you know, if you if you find out that, you know, a close friend of yours is getting divorced, maybe it wasn't what they wanted and they're super upset. Um, you're going to have your own feelings of sadness, your own feelings of wanting to protect your friend, uh, your hurt at seeing them upset. And your instinctive reaction is going to be blame that other person, ex-bash that other person, you know. And so you get all the, oh, well, you know, she was never right for you. Or I always thought he was a loser, you know. And, and ha-ha, drink loads of wine. Everybody f- laughs about it, feels better. But actually, what is that doing to your friend at the end of the night when they go home? It's making them think, crikey, I, I've got the worst judgment. Everybody else knew this was a bad relationship, and I, I didn't. How am I ever going to make the right choices next time? I've wasted. You know, I've been, that this was a 10-year marriage. Was that all a waste of my time? And actually, that's not right. You know, in the vast majority of cases, we make the right decisions at the time. You get married, you're compatible. It's great, unless you're really unlucky. You're going to have some really happy years together. But then, you know, we, we know as we grow and develop, our personalities change and you've grown apart and that's okay. And so really what you want your friendship group to be doing is, yes, supporting you emotionally and boosting you, but not demonizing the ex because that actually is just making your friend feel rubbish about themselves. And if they've got children, it's setting themselves up for a really difficult co-parenting relationship. And they're going to move on from this divorce. You know, it, it's really important not to make somebody's divorce your soap opera mm. um, and to normalise the process of life change. You know, yes, you're going through divorce. We're going to support you. But let's remember that so-and-so is going through a really tough illness. You know, somebody else has just been made redundant. This is just one of many challenges that you're going to overcome and we're going to support you with it. Mm. Um, but it doesn't need to be the topic of a conversation for every coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just also, I think this idea that you have to choose, you know, if somebody gets divorced, you can't stay friends with both of them. It's really important that we try and challenge that. Because if you say, you know, to your friend from the get go, look, I'm here to support you. I, I want to be here for you when you need me. But I also want you to know that if possible, I'd really like to stay friends with both of you. 
then yeah, that might seem a bit weird from your friend's perspective at the beginning. But in the longer term, you're going to be this neutral person. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. That, you know, doesn't kind of isn't trapped in the divorce narrative when they get out on the other side and they don't want to talk about the divorce anymore. You know, and when the children are coming over for sleepovers and maybe the mum's picking them up or the dad's picking them up and it doesn't matter because you've stayed neutral. You know, you're then enabling yourself to be that long term support um, rather than just kind of a, a short-term catharsis of let's have a bitch. Mm, mm. I mean, I suppose it's, it's so different from kind of breaking up with people that you don't have children with because then you can sort of split and sort of have very separate lives. But obviously, if you're co-parents, you're, you're always going to be that. You're yeah. always going to be co-parents. And yeah. it is unfair to kind of alienate one, one party. Yeah. And I think, you know, even when people don't have children, I think there's this thing of, you know, you don't, you kind of want to leave something with it with a with a good legacy but you know when you have children particularly and, and one of the things I always say to, to couples when you know when they come to the divorce surgery or clients in private practice is that divorce is not harmful to children and even just saying that you know they it's like they they're desperate to hear it but they can't quite believe it you know what's harmful for children is, is seeing their parents in entrenched conflict and that can happen in an unhappy marriage. And this divorce can be the best decision you make for your children. It's just how you approach it. And the other thing to know is that divorced parents are still parents 100% of the time. You know, don't fall down the rabbit hole of thinking the number of nights each fortnight you have your child defines how much of a parent you are or how close you are to them. You know, when you're in a marriage or in a long-term relationship with children, children bring logistics you think week on week, right, crikey, who can do the school run this week? You know, I've got a business trip that week. When you're at work or when your children are at school or when you're away, you know, with friends on holiday or at a work trip, you don't think you stop being a parent. And in the same way, when you're divorced, you never stop being a parent. It, and so if, if, if couples approached it more as, as a sort of logistical point, of, OK, well, we're both still parents all the time, but actually on a logistical basis, what works best um, then they would free themselves from this idea that they need to cling on 
to certain numbers of nights in order to be the real parent. Um, and, and that causes, you know, so much kind of litigation, um, which could be avoided if they just maintain trust between the two of them and said, look, we're starting this out on the basis that, um, provided it's safe, of course, but that we are two highly committed parents and we're going to remain highly committed and we're going to figure this out. And our children's needs are going to change as they grow and our ability to prioritise those needs are going to be different and we're going to work together. Um, and the thing that I always, you know, try and encourage couples to think about is... At 3 a.m., you know, your youngest has a fever. You're there. Your eldest is asleep in bed. Who do you want to call? In an ideal world, the person most receptive to that call at 3 a.m. is your co-parent, who will drop everything to be there. Now, maybe at the moment you're not in that place and it's awful, all right? Um, And you don't want to call them because it's awkward and, and, and they're difficult and you're fighting over the money. But if you could get to that place where you've got that source of support, how brilliant would that be for you? Forget about how good it is for the children. It's great for you. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's it's all of these things that people just don't don't think about. But the minute you say it, you think, yeah, that makes total sense. (laughs) But it's not the narrative that we regularly run. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it makes total sense. In an ideal world, we'd all have these kind of really grown-up divorces. But it's just not, I mean, is that the reality? I mean, obviously, divorce is hard. You've got some hard decisions to make. And it's, you know, very often you can't any longer live in the family house because it's just not financially viable. What, what, what challenges do people sort of generally face? So what's interesting is that, um, so for the last 15 years, obviously, I've been representing one side or the other. Right? And um, about six years ago now, I realized that um, according to my sort of professional conflict rules, it was possible for me as a barrister to advise a couple together. Now, that is actually the norm in lots of other European countries, right? That if a couple is getting divorced, they go to one shared lawyer. But we never had it here because solicitors thought they couldn't do it because of their conflict rules. And so did barristers. But anyway, so I realized that this was possible. And it just seems so obvious to me that for some couples, that would be a great solution. And it is certainly what I would want and I would want for my friends and family. So I thought, right, okay, I've got to give this a go. Now, I then set up the divorce surgery with another barrister called Harry Gates. And and when we did it, loads of people within the profession were really supportive, but also said, ah, you're so naive. Like, nobody's going to want to do this. They want the fight. They want people kind of on their side. Nobody's going to be mature enough to go for it. And what we've seen, and there are since, you know, since been a few other businesses that are doing the same thing, some big law firms have then changed their models so that they can now offer joint advice. And the reason for that is, it's because that's what couples do want. In the vast majority, what they want, so what you you have at the beginning is a couple who each want fairness. Now, their perception of fairness will always be different. And so from the get-go, they kind of think, I think the other one's being unreasonable. Now, if they then go to separate lawyers and they, the lawyer, remember, just hears that version of events, they'll be told, well, look, you know, we need to wait for all the financial disclosure to come in. Um, but in broad terms, I can see where you're coming from. Now, that plants a seed, and that's a perfectly right thing to say, but that plants a seed of fundamentally I'm right and they're wrong. And it can start them down a path. Now, if you take the very same couple and you put them in a joint process 
And so they each have the opportunity. So the way we do it, we see them individually first. But so if I speak to them each individually first, inevitably, every single time when I meet a couple, I'll meet one and think, oh, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, maybe you're a bit off on where you think fairness lies, but I, I see why you think you do. You meet the other one, you think exactly the same. So if you can align them at the earliest stage, if you can intervene early, before they've had a chance to kind of really sit in and entrench in this idea that the only answer is remaining in the family home or the only answer is retaining their pension or the only answer is, you know, having the children with them the vast majority of the time and sort of step in at that very early stage when they're still malleable and still figuring out what they think. And so, well, look, actually, this is what a judge would think. And it's not quite what you think, and it's not quite what you think, um, but this is the reasons why. Um, then you can move them to a space where they can negotiate sensibly. Um, and so, but if you leave somebody, you know, it's like anything. If you if you just allow your thoughts to kind of ferment and foster for too long, fester, not foster, fester for too long, um, and um, and and nobody's intervening in that thought process. And, you know, I know it from when I'm representing one client or the other. Is that I always, and every family lawyer will do this, will always say, you know, this is where I think settlement lies. Um, but if you aren't ready to, to settle at the moment and you don't give me those instructions, then I'm going to fight this case, and that is the language we still use, on the basis of your best case scenario. But if you, no matter how many times you tell people, this is the best case scenario, you're probably not going to get it they become increasingly wedded to that best case scenario. And the person on the other side becomes increasingly like a a caricature, you know, this kind of dehumanized kind of person that, you know, you only read about in witness statements. And it still shocks me that I can run a case for one spouse. And I will not even know what their other spouse's voice sounds like until I cross-examine them in the witness box at the trial. You know, that's the extent to which these two people are kind of forced apart by the legal process and so I think that actually what it comes down to is everybody just wants fairness and the process that we have the adversarial system that we have sets people up to fail actually and kind of sets them up to be in a battle when if they had an earlier intervention and were told what fairness was and were given the toolkit you know the kind of emotional support to get there they'd make the right decisions for their family. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to this idea that, you know, divorcing people, someone needs to be punished for it. And, you know, if you're starting out, of course, you're going to cause each other so much emotional harm and monetary harm. Yeah. And and to yourself, you know, that's the kind of real killer in it is that it's not that you're just causing the other person harm. It's that you're harming yourself through this kind of, you know, this conflict that you're having to live through, the stress, you know, and I, I see it with clients that, you know, solicitor's letter that lands in your email inbox at six o'clock on a Friday and then just ruins the whole weekend. It, it, it really is quite corrosive. Um, and once you're in it, it's so difficult to find a way out um, because the trust is gone. Mm. And you, you no longer feel comfortable just talking to each other openly. Um, you know, you can end up in scenarios where, you know, even the, the attendance at a school play becomes something that lawyers are corresponding about. But at the end of the process, the lawyers will go. A- and this couple still are going to have to deal with these issues going forward unless they want a lifetime in and out of the family courts. Um, so we're not really allowing people to kind of step up 
and transition their relationship into one that's you know fit for purpose in the future Mm. so how do we move forward obviously doing what you do I think you've totally sold me not that I'm planning on getting divorced but if I did I would really it makes so much sense but you know in terms of sort of parenting in terms of supporting our friends in terms of encouraging people to to do the right decision how do we move forward see I think that you know I think the court's Family justice as a whole is looking at whole scale reform at the moment. Judges are calling for it. The government's got a consultation at the moment um, going out about, you know, keeping families away from court. But actually, what I think needs to drive this change is a sort of, you know, public waking up to the fact that this isn't okay anymore and that they want to do it differently. And that's happening slowly, slowly. It really is. But I think that, you know, even when we see the media portrayal of, of, of successful, actually, divorce stories. So, you know, Adele recently, I saw um, before her album came out, but there was an article in the press saying, um, you know, Adele forced to bring in mediators um, over, you know, the, the, the allocation of her financial resources. And you think, no, no, no. That, that's Adele going to mediation. That's great. <laughs> but the way that it's portrayed is, ah, you know, uh, forced to bring it in. So I think we have to take a lot of responsibility for how we report on divorce, how we view divorce. I think we need to open up conversations around why we need it to be a battle and do we and what that does to our mental health. And I think we need to, we live in an age, you know, of Instagram aspiration. Let's aspire to divorce well. Let's feel really proud of that um, and make that the norm and make it kind of socially a bit embarrassing to be saying, oh, we're ending up in court rather than the norm. I mean, the other thing that <laughs> I think it, it makes common sense when you say it, but people always do is, you know, don't, when you're getting divorced, don't go to the person that you know was in a really long divorce battle and think therefore they're an expert on divorce and you should ask them. What they're an expert in is, is their messy divorce. You want to be talking, if you're going to talk to anybody and recognise that your situation is also always different, but talk to the person who seemed to get through it really well, you know, who didn't have the drama. Um, And then more and more, hopefully, and we're certainly seeing this, people will just expect divorce to be okay and just won't accept a solution where um, they're ending up in a, in a sort of battle. Mm. I always think the sort of marriage vows need to change and this whole notion of till death do us part, which so often isn't the right thing for a couple. You almost need to change it and be like, you know, for as long as we're happy and if we're not happy anymore, we also promise that we're going to try and manage that really well. That should be a part of the marriage vows rather than this whole we are wedded together for as long as our lives continue on this earth, whether we like it or not. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Right. It's totally crazy. And yet making a commitment at the beginning when you're so in love and so idealistic that, you know what, if this doesn't, if this, if this, this can be really successful and have a shelf life. That's okay. We're all living for such a long time now. So if it does turn out that it has a shelf life and this relationship, which brings us so much happiness now, stops bringing us happiness, then that's the relationship's fault, not ours. And we're going to make a commitment that we're going to end it the way we start it. And we're going to end it with respect. And, you know, if you, if you said to somebody, um, you know, you need to fall in love with that person right now, they turn around and say, well, of course, I can't control who I fall in love with. That's ridiculous. But you also can't control who you fall out of love with. 
you know, you, you can't. And so by saying that you failed or you've let somebody down because the way you feel has changed and you're deeply unhappy um, is just so counterproductive and inhuman, actually. And, you know, often people say, oh, no, you don't want to make divorce easy because people will just get divorced on a whim. Nobody gets divorced on a whim you know that the people that I've met all of the couples I've met you know it's years of soul searching actually to get to that point um and what we just need to do is make divorce more human um and that's 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 allowing people to get out of it in a way that isn't just damaging them and everyone around them and presumably too it's fitting that into our children's narrative you know so again you know so many of the stories that children read are sort of they fall in love and it's happily ever after which we all know is not the case um but sort of gradually introducing into their their lives this idea that people get divorced and that's fine that's absolutely fine so that not only can they support their friends or deal with it when their parents potentially get divorced but also when it comes to their marriages that they have this much more sensible and forward-thinking and pragmatic view of what a relationship actually means in the 21st century rather than this kind of Elizabethan notion of kind of punishment because you failed somehow yeah and also it totally right and we're modeling for our children right and you know you would never want your child to stay in a in a really unhappy marriage and but if they then decided that it wasn't working you'd want them to get out of it in a way that was dignified and respectful And when we think about how we tell our children to manage conflict, you know, it's communicate. It's talk to the person that you fell out with at school and let's try and figure a way through and let's hear their their perspective and their point of view and acknowledge that and and then factor that in. Whereas actually... When adults are getting divorced, we're saying to them, no, 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 that's fine. You don't communicate. Don't acknowledge the other one's point of view. Just, you know, remain in your silo and let's fight for what's best for you, you know. That's not a model of managing conflict that works and, and one that we, we should want our children to be seeing. Um, and, and that's completely aside, of course, from the damaging impact that, that being in this kind of conflict has on children. And, and parents often, because they're, they're in such a state um, going through a sort of contested divorce, that they can't really pick up the, the signals as well. Um, but what it does to children seeing their parents in that kind of entrenched conflict, feeling in the middle, thinking they have to choose, is hugely damaging. And, and you know, and that goes into adulthood with them then. Um, and it's so important that we can try and nip that in the bud early and get people co-parenting help as well, you know, get them advice on. And again, that's not a lawyer's job, you know, getting people advice on, okay, how are we going to tell the children? And it's not enough, actually, I'm afraid, to just agree a script and have one person read it and the other person sit there stony-faced. You know, you've both got to find a way um, to, to genuinely make your children think it's going to be okay and, and to, to have this divorce as a footnote in their life that's no big deal, you know, and, and that's the best way for everyone to navigate it. Yeah, it's a life change. We'll get through it. There's going to be ups and downs. It's going to be hard at times, but we're going to be all right. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. Um, Sam, tell me a bit more about where people can find out about one lawyer divorces. Um, I know you obviously kind of represent clients, but um, is there anywhere that people can go to just understand a little bit more about what, what their options are in this kind of rational way that we've been talking about today? 
Yeah, see, see, that's actually a, a real difficulty at the moment, is that there isn't enough publicly available information about options. Um, now, the gov.uk website at the moment, I think, is being redone because of no-fault divorce coming in. And I'm really hopeful there'll be more on there than there is right now. Um, but the, the reality is that couples can get joint legal advice if they want it. Um, obviously, the divorce surgery offers it, but there are other um, law firms that offer it now too. It's becoming increasingly common. And um, that's what they should search, joint legal advice. Yeah, they can, or one couple, one lawyer, um, or share a lawyer on divorce. Um, there are still quite a few um, law firms and solicitors that, that don't know about it or may say it's not an option, um, but keep looking because it is. Um, it's obviously not right for every couple, but that's why you know anyone who offers it will screen first. Um, Harry and I are actually writing a book about divorce, <laughs> um, which is coming out um, next April. Um, and that sets out in it all of the options for working together, you know, because there are so many things that couples should do that come beyond before lawyers, you know, and they don't know are there and they don't access and then they get trapped in an expensive divorce and they don't have the headspace or the money to access any of these other services. So um, there's still not as much publicly available information as I'd like there to be. We've got loads of blogs on our website that people can read. Um, But yeah, don't, don't be... Don't think there's only one way. I promise you there are loads of ways. And I think this is just the beginning of quite a big sea change in the next five years in terms of how we start divorces and and, and what the public know is available and not. Um, And I think also it's important to kind of flag the difference really between joint legal advice and mediation. So mediation is a great resource as well for helping couples negotiate. And quite a lot of our couples will go on to mediation after they've been to us. Um, but mediators can't give legal advice. So mediators can help you negotiate. But if, from the get-go, you've both got different perceptions of what's fair, then it's quite important for you to know what's legally fair before you start to negotiate. Otherwise, you can just kind of get crosser with each other. (laughs) Um, And so our process only takes six to eight weeks, but we get through all the financial disclosure or we'll get through all the information we need to know about the children in order to get the couple to an impartial view with a barrister that they choose and then they get a written advice and then they can take that into mediation. So again, it's just there's so many different services that are great and can all work together in complementary ways. Um, But if you don't know about them... Um, then you can't make those choices. Um, And so more and more, and and it is, you know, the press are increasingly on the uptake on this, but talking about, you know, it's great to talk to you about this, um, but talking about the different ways of doing things um, that, um, you know, are are less adversarial, less damaging. And so divorce surgery, where where can they find more information? What's your website? Uh, So the website is... um, thedivorcesurgery.co.uk um, there's loads of videos on there there's some really painful videos that I've done and Harry's done uh, which I can't bear to look at but I think are probably quite useful um, there's loads of blogs there's loads more information there if, if so they're painful it. videos in terms of you cringe watching them I can't bear watching myself no <laughs> I know that sounded bad anyway. didn't it like, no 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 they're great they're really optimistic no 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 they, they're informative videos I just can't bear watching myself um, but yeah Oh, Sam, well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming today, but also thank you for doing what you're doing because it sounds like you are 
you're really changing things. And if it's not for our generation, which it will be, it'll potentially be for the next generation who hopefully will see and behave in divorce in a totally different way. So thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for having me and having the conversation. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Sam and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.